Pod, 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 pod. Rugby pod. Hello and welcome along to the Rugby Pod. Big Jim and Goody are here as usual. And we're brought to you this week by Beer 52. They bring you beers sourced and curated from the best breweries on the planet. Each case of eight beers comes with an award-winning beer magazine and some snacks. There's no minimum commitment, so you can just take the free case, try the beers and see what you think. And if it's not for you, you can pause or cancel at any point. And this month they're sending out a case called Christmas in Poland. That'd be right up your street, wouldn't it, Jim? That's as good as just looking. Did I tell you what I did the other week? I can't remember. That, that's German. Well, it's the same. You can't say that, Jim. You well, can't you know say what that. I mean. Well, it's a das and an ist and a bish. Like, what I mean. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I hold my hands up. I am multilingual, but I don't know Polish. But I, I don't know if I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, I sat with my case of beer 52, and I had one and two and three responsibly. Next thing... Next thing, it's half one in the morning, <laughs> and I'm watching Oasis on YouTube till half one in the morning, singing the house down, voice of an absolute angel. So I don't know whether to thank Beer 52 or, well, I, I'm going to thank you. Beer 52, thank you. Get it? 52 and thank you rhymes. <laughs> All you need to do is go to beer52.com forward slash rugby and cover the postage. That's the word beer followed by the number 52.com forward slash rugby to get your first case of eight beers for free and you'll be supporting the rugby pod as well by doing so how has your week been boys jim where are you i've just changed you're looking smart as well jim i'm looking corporate nice why'd you say that what what, define smart andrew well you've got a smart black shirt on normally you're in a t-shirt with all sorts of stuff down the front of it so uh i'm just impressed with how smart you look james with the Superman tattoo hanging out the bottom, which now I'm coming to resent. So I thought, I can't see this thing anymore. And I had this conversation, JJ's nine. So now he's starting to look at the tats thinking two things, or one of two things. My dad is either cool as shit, or he looks like an absolute idiot. <laughs> I've got a Superman tattoo on before him. At 23, it looked unbelievable. <laughs> Genuinely, lads, at 38, my goodness me. Superman looks like Batman now. It is that bad. <laughs> So I've got long shirts. I've got more corporate. I'm in a WeWorks in Edinburgh. I need out of the house. The garage slash studio is freezing. So thank you for your observation, Andrew. You're looking uh, fuller, happy, 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 fuller. Well, we're the champions, aren't we? We're the Autumn Nations Cup champions, so I'm delighted. But your story of last week's gone viral, hasn't it, Jim? The old Evans. The Evans. I had no idea, Goody. I had no idea the impact. The people jumped on it and Evans Cycles were getting involved. Have you had your refund yet have you taken your receipt have you found your receipt or have they just gone big jim the scottish legend here you go have 80 quid credit at evans cycles i just walked past the store and i just nodded but i had my mask on they wouldn't they might not have known it was me i walked past the store and nodded i was going to flip the bird and i thought that was a bit too intense so i just walked past the store and then nothing i just walked past and that was it and then i thought oh god i'm loose it's a little bit like when you came up against ebenezerbeth when you absolutely bottled it then so you, you talk a good game but just him and sia khaleesi actually have been messaging with me in the trio of messaging on instagram loved it made my week last week i think it was or the week before it's all molded into one but i'm a changed man look at me i got a shirt on superman's tattoo's gone it's covered up looks like batman and Lads, I'm happy. I'll be honest. I'm I'm happier. It's been a tough couple of weeks. I'm I'm even though Scotland lost, I'm a content man. Because you're on the right pathway, right? What's the pathway? We'll we'll, we'll talk about that later. We'll bring that up <laughs> shortly. Goody, what was your rage like watching France England over the weekend? England by twenty. England by twenty. Andrew said. 
Well, no, I changed it. I went even more. Just before kickoff, I thought the weather's good. This England team, it's the best England team bar Manu Tuolangi that we can pick. Let's have it. We're winning by 30. It was against the France third slash fourth team. Kids that no one's heard of. And now, my God, you've heard of some of these boys now, haven't you? The French boys, they were phenomenal. Um, I just felt sorry. I felt sorry for those NHS staff that got a 1,000 tickets to go to Twickenham. They've been through so much this year. First bit of excitement, they go to Twickenham, they get a ticket to go to Twickenham, thanking them for everything they've done for the country over the pandemic, and they have to watch that kick fest. So I felt, you know, I had a couple of messages from NHS staff saying, I was really excited going to Twickenham, yet yeah, that's what Eddie produced for us. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think everyone expected, every pundit out there said England would win this comfortably. Not me. Jim, you're lying. Did you see my match point predictor? I well, changed it to once I saw. I told you when we call these games early in the week on the Monday and Tuesday, it's more of a superficial. It's more of a super superficial thing from my point of view. As the week builds and I engage myself emotionally, like I did in that French camp this week. <laughs> as I get to game day, just before kickoff, I changed it to France by four. That's got nothing to do that I had to do something for my match point predictor. I just had a feeling. Goodness, Andrew, I was close. We, sorry, we, they, French, were close. Did you actually predict France by four? I predicted France by four. And that's purely because you needed like triple points or something crazy to, <laughs> wow. to, to climb back up the league. So you can't really claim it. But yeah, I think everyone looked at the two teams on paper. It was a dry day. You know, England have, have built this big crescendo around. We've won the Six Nations. We've not tinkered with the team at all, really. That They've been together for about eight weeks now. And you, you're just waiting for the one performance that clicks. And all I could think of was, think back to when we played France at Twickenham a few years back. And we ended up scoring 40, 50 points or whatever it was. And I'm just thinking... Today's the day. That's going to happen again. We're going to kick it a bit. Of course we are. But then we're going to play a bit more. And oh no, not until Dan Robson comes on, Max Malins at fullback comes on, did anyone try and speed the game up? Ben Earl made a big difference as well. And it was just like everyone. Elliot Daly, every time he gets the ball at fullback, hoofs it back or hoofs it up in the air. George Ford. Hell of a kick though. Oh, he's got, a big old, he's got a big old boot. George Ford, every time he got the ball, hoofed it. Now I haven't looked into the stats. I'd love to know how many kicks in play there were from individuals because it just became so dull and you know England didn't offer a lot in terms of attack one opportunity we get in the first half we go to a crossfield kick to score and that's the only way we're trying to score tries it was disappointing to watch let's let's not beat around Jim's bush second half we were better but the French fair play Jalibert at 10 uh, was phenomenal he was class you know when he goes off Carbonell comes on and, and plays really well kicks his goals and you know the French team they showed a desire, an application, an attitude, a work rate, which is symptomatic with a coach that is Sean Edwards and everything that he's always done. And it doesn't matter that they weren't first choice or second choice. A lot of them were third slash fourth choice, but they rocked up, balls on the table and had a proper goo. And France, I tip the slipper to you. Often I stick them in the bad, but France, well played. It's potentially shown a blueprint. If England do play like that, a way of beating England and not many teams would be able to beat England because physically they're maybe not up to the challenge but you look at that French team how young they were again without watching too much of the top 14 knowing a few of their names watching their young second rows perform the back row the physicality that they've got and there's not many teams that have got that and we spoke to Ben Kayser last week and he was 
talking about the appetite for rugby down in France or across in France. The future is unbelievable for them. You think of the World Cup in a couple of years' time and everything you're hearing about, they're going full goo for it in terms of a country, a nation. You know, it's not just France that need it, rugby needs it. Because if that's the way that they're going to play and they've got the ability to play, you you don't want to say that they're favourites, but they're going to be incredible. And you look at it as well, you look at like Fabien Gautier of had my opinions on him before. France took a risk making him head coach. He scrapped a load of the top-line players and he took a risk as well, arguably, because he could have said we're building towards the World Cup. I thought they were... But again, I weren't watching the game, Goody, and thinking, oh, it's a kick fest. I I was... Probably because more I was looking at France thinking how good they were, I suppose. But yeah, I, I mean, potentially there's a blueprint there to how you beat England, but you need to have the players to do it. And there ain't many teams, bar France... South Africa, Australia in parts from what we've seen in the, in, in the Rugby Championship and obviously New Zealand as well. But I enjoyed the game. I bet the NHS staff that were there, mate, they could have been there into the middle of the night. Loving it. <laughs> yeah. I just think that like, the spectacle that England put on and the tactics, that which we've said time after time, since we played Italy in that first game when it was just a kick fest then and we were thinking at some point they're going to stop doing this. They've done it every game now and they've played, let's be honest, We've played teams that haven't been anywhere near at their peak and we didn't dispatch any team and we're at our strongest. And, you know, Eddie Jones talks about results. Yeah, mate, we just want to win and we've learned so much from the World Cup final. And that's all it's about. It's the hangover from losing that World Cup final and and how we went off script and started chucking it around behind our posts a bit and made errors, uncharacteristic errors that got us to the final. So, you know, maybe winning it the way we want it is now the kind of monkey off our back now in terms of you can park the World Cup pain. Um, you know, you've gone to the depths of extra time to win something. And yes, it should have been a game that we, you know, should have won convincingly in, in those 80 minutes. But it's a learning. I think England need to you, know, you look at the players that made an impact. Max Malins, I said it before, Max Malins, Dan Robson, Ben Earl. These are form players in the Premiership. Form players. And there's a fair few others that are in the Premiership playing on form. And I'll say it again, Joe Simmons. Way better option than George Ford at 10 right now. But... Will Eddie change his blueprint? I don't think he will. What did you make of the refereeing? I thought Andrew Brace refed it well. There weren't any part of me where I'm watching the game thinking he's having a, a Roman at any point, but I did pick up the Billy V knock-on. Now, is that down to Andrew Brace or is that up to the TMO to call that in? I mean, Andrew Brace must have been fucked as well. You think of the amount of running in the game and, and I actually love the sudden death thing I think it's a great concept I think it's class I think it actually adds a completely different dimension to rugby I know we don't see many draws but if we did like and like we saw at the weekend but have you seen the stuff online yeah I mean there's no place for that and I, I actually I'm with you Jim he made a couple of errors let's not you know try and cover up the, the Billy V knock-on there was the actual penalty that was reasonably contentious that led to the kick to the corner that Karen Dickey scores off. That's actually a knock-on as well, I think. And so, you know, listen, people pick a, apart little mistakes like that. The knock-on from Billy V was pretty obvious. And the TMO, can he come in and say that's a knock-on? Frank Murphy running the touch, a good friend of ours. Where was it? He was probably doing his hair at some point because he looked so good on the touchline. You know, they've missed a couple of things. But I didn't think he had a, a bad performance at all. You know, there was the knock-on that he gave against McAlew from the kickoff, which... Obviously, McAlew doesn't touch, but he's made an instinct call there. Perhaps he should have waved play on, you know, but they're, they're, they're learning lessons, aren't they? And to me, there were no, 
massive calls that he got wrong throughout the whole game. It was just a couple of things, like the knock-on's been clear on social media. But there's no, no place at all for any of the abuse that's received online. You can make comments on people making errors. And this is my big thing about people that come up, people for having an opinion on social media. And we'll get onto that in a bit. Or on TV. You're allowed opinions. Don't abuse people, but you're allowed opinions on it. And, you know, if your opinion is different to the masses... Uh, or if your opinion is different to the the minority sometimes, you get absolutely hammered. Um, And, you know, that's where people come into their own on their keyboards and just go too far. And, you know, unfortunately, horrible for Andrew Brace to read stuff like that. And people need to wind the neck in a bit. I'd like to get your opinion, Jim, on Scotland. I mean, our shit of Scotland. Where are they on the bell curve? I think we're good. I think that that's... I think we're... Well, I think we're good. Then that's it. I don't think we've got much more in us, really, when you look at the profile of the team compared to that Irish team. Uh, for 30 minutes, and again, anyone who watched the game and anyone who's followed social media and the news, and there's a few, th- few things that we can talk about it, but for 30 minutes, we look brilliant. We're winning nine points to three. Duncan Taylor, Chris Harris in the centres were brilliant. I thought we were really physical in the carry. Ireland looked a little bit shell-shocked. And then... There was a yellow card, which is a big talking point in the game, with Duncan Taylor flying out of the line to hit Bundiaki man and ball. I've watched it a hundred times. Sometimes I'm thinking, yeah, I can see it. Most of the time I'm not, seeing how Matt Carley's give a yellow card off the back of it. In the lead-up to that try, Duncan Taylor's made a couple of other big hits, one on Stockdale, but another one where he's tried to spot Bundiaki as well. And that was a turning point. It just took all the momentum out of the Scotland team. Duncan Taylor said it on here before. He's a fantastic player. Um, he's borderline in that world class. If he's not injured, he picks up a lot of injuries. In the centre, huge position for Scotland. You're going to struggle against Ireland with 15. Well, Scotland will anyway. They matched them, but you go down to 14. And then after that, Ireland score a try when Duncan Taylor's off the field and there's no way back, it seems. It just took all the momentum out of them. And Do you not think, though, with that, that even though... What was the score when he came back on? Because they scored one try. They got, so he's come back on at 11-9. That ain't even game over. Yeah, it seemed that Scotland kind of capitulated in the second half when they had 15 players on the pitch. It was just a big momentum shift. That's what it was. It was like Scotland were on the front foot for the first 30 minutes. They were banging them in defence putting them under massive pressure when they were carrying the ball. Like Either way, it's not going to be easy. Whenever, whatever team we play away from home, if you're playing a top team like Ireland, it ain't going to be easy, is it? And no. Like, I don't really know what people are expecting. There's a little bit of context around it. You look at that Irish team and the experience that they've got. Omani, I think he's gone to another level for some reason. He's, yeah. he's brilliant. CJ Stander, you've got Caleb Miel Doris, who's playing exceptionally well for Leinster week in, week out. We've spoken about James Ryan. Yeah, a bit of inexperience in the front row. But you look at Conor Murray, you look at Sexton, you look at Earls on the wing. You look at the profile of that Irish team compared to the Scotland team. You know, we had Jaco van der Velt, who's from the Northern Hebrides with a name like that. <laughs> he's arguably, well, he's, he's definitely third choice. They've had to play him instead of Donkey Weir so they can see what he can do going to the Six Nations because it looks like Finn and Adam Hastings won't be there. But you're, you're without your best player in Finn Russell. So 
You take an Owen Farrell out of the back line of England, you're struggling. And Hoggy's captain, he's at 15. You spoke about him last week and we'll come on to it and we'll, we'll talk about the, some of the comments that he made um, after the game and stuff. But it's a difficult one for him. And Stevie Ferris opened him up after the game and said he didn't play well. I don't think he played that bad. I thought he played well when he got the ball in hand. We haven't seen him get the ball in his hand for the whole tournament because no one kicks to him. He actually got a bit of ball in hand and looked dangerous. But there was a couple of errors at the back. And again, you're playing against a team like Ireland who are a momentum-based team. It's going to be, yeah, it becomes more difficult. But, mate, we're all right. We're not an England. We're not a France. We're not an Ireland. We're not a New Zealand, South Africa. We haven't got loads of players to choose from who are in the world-class bracket. We've got two pro teams. And anyone who's any good in them pro teams ends up having to go because of the amount of money that they that, that they need. And then that way, it brings on other players. So the model that we've got is working now because we're seeing Scotland develop, but it is what it is. I don't. I actually thought we played quite well. I do apologise. When I joked earlier, it was a joke when I said Scotland now shit. They actually did play some really good stuff at times. And I think the big question is where Jim summed it up perfectly. For 30 minutes, you're in control and playing really well. The difference is when Hoggy says for 70 minutes we control the game when you know a lot of people I think are he said 17 I think he's meant 17 <laughs> yeah fair fair enough fair enough to be honest but yeah I mean Jim summed it up perfectly and he's convinced me that you know Scotland are you know on the right pathway they've got hell of a set of players in certain positions and they're trying to get depth and and they're competing against teams that have got a bigger player pool and that's that's where you're at uh, but, you know, it's only a few weeks ago they were saying they'd won six on the spin or something. So let's not chuck the baby out with the bathwater. You know, it's a disappointing second half and that's about it. Well, we can have a chat now with a man who was working for TV on the Ireland v Scotland game and had some strong views on the subject. Former Ireland head coach Eddie O'Sullivan joins us. How are you, mate? Good, good. I've survived. <laughs> so far so far hopefully because you're not on social media but all i can say is eddie edinburgh you're welcome but i would not go to glasgow if i was you mate there could be a lot of hate coming <laughs> I, from that way <laughs> i i think scotland in general is off the charts at the moment from him i'm not i'm going to holiday at home this year <laughs> <laughs> just blame china off the back of that eddie look we need to talk about it it's a good talking point we were just chatting yeah. about scotland island clearly there's an emotional attachment to me with the team and I, I'm going to keep talking about the team and trying to talk them up and give them as much energy as I can because we need it as a as a, as a team. What do you make of this Scotland team? Because you, the, the comments after that went viral have been quite damning. Yeah. The, the one for me was the, you know, the deluded notion that we're better than we are because I don't really get a gauge on that we think that. I think we're actually, we understate ourselves a lot of the times, but it's interesting to get your perspective, a guy who's coached against them and you were there pitch start at the weekend. And I, I'd say there's two, there's two parts to my statement. One I would I'd talk to you about now and one I, I'd talk to you about after. First thing I said is that I, I said that Scotland were coming to Dublin, they happened before that they talked themselves up and then again they imploded and they had an opinion that they were better than, than they are, which is harsh and I, I accept that. I meant that in the context that I'll take back what I, in the sense that it's, it probably pissed a lot of people off, and I understand why, because kind of accusing Scotland of being arrogant or, or ahead of themselves. But my take on Scotland over the years is every time I've been involved with playing Scotland, we've taken Scotland really seriously because we know that Scotland can turn us over, and Scotland always play Ireland with a view they can get them. And there's no reason they shouldn't do that. But historically, they haven't done that. It's a bad history against Ireland. The last 20 years and the 20 years before the shoe was completely on the other foot like we couldn't beat scotland at anything 
And so there was an element of that in it. And yeah, I would say in retrospect, it was a very harsh thing to say. And I wasn't trying to insult anybody, but it probably did. And I could, I overrate the pudding on that point. I would say, yeah, I don't, I can't say for sure Scotland talked themselves up too much or they're, they're arrogant or ahead of themselves. But I do know Scotland always fancy their chances against Ireland. And there's nothing wrong with that. But the facts of the matter is it rarely works out for them. Yeah, I appreciate that. And what I did like then is you mentioned pudding and I can't wait for mine tonight. But uh, the question is, to me, was it a bit of a reaction from Stuart Hogg's interview saying that, that he said they controlled the game for 70 minutes? And Hoggy's coming off the back of a performance where, you know, he's out of breath, he's, you know, he's devastated. And sometimes you haven't got a clear mind then, have you? That's, a, that's the second point, Andy, I want to make. Is I stand over what I said about Stuart. I thought Stuart was a bit delusional. And that's the, where the delusion bit came in. He said two things that I, I, I disagree with vehemently. One is they dominated the game. or Well, he didn't say it. He said it's just that they were, they were in a position to dominate the game for, you know, we're splitting hairs for the first 70 minutes, which I think was complete nonsense. He meant 17. He meant 17. He just <laughs> said it wrong. It's a borders thing. Because the truth <laughs> of the matter is, I thought they were super for the first 20, 25 minutes. I thought they were really starting to cause problems for Ireland. But I thought that was a bad take. And then he said, which I thought is they're on the cusp of something, you know, they're, they're, or how do you frame it again, that there were uh, something, something big going to happen. And again, like, fair is fair. He can say that and he can think that, but I'm saying, where's the evidence for that? And I don't think there's any evidence for that at the moment for Scotland. I think Scotland are unproven, but when you say something big, do you mean a Grand Slam or a Six Nations title? And I don't see that on the cards for them at the moment. I'm not saying it can't be done, but I, I, I think, to me, that was the delusional bit, really. And I did go over the top on the other stuff. And I, I didn't want to upset anyone. I'm sure I did. And I got huge abuse in the weekend on social media. And I probably deserve some of it. But the notion that they were in charge for 70 minutes is clap trap. And I don't see anything major for Scotland at the moment. Because I analysed them before the game. I sat down and I looked at Scotland's last three games. And as a co- my coaching had on, I said, how would I attack Scotland here if I want to get them? And the thing that, that surprised me is they played the same defence they've played the last three games and again last spring, which is not a difficult defence to crack. I thought they should have come out and blitzed the crap out of Ireland, which England and France do. And Ireland are in a place to moment they can't cope with that. So they came out and they played the same defence. They got opened up a good bit. And uh, I just don't agree with Stuart on that point. And he, he could prove me wrong. And fair play if he does, I'll put my hand up. We kind of did blitz them, though. Dunkey Taylor blitzed out the line to try and hit Bundiaki and was yellow carded off the back of that. What did you make of that yellow card, then? Let's, let's talk a little bit I about thought that. It, I thought it was bullshit. No, I thought it was a knock-on, actually, to be frank with you. I thought Aki passed the ball into his hand. He, he was always trying to make a tackle. He was trying to make the smaller tackle, you know, man and ball. And Aki passed the ball into his hand. It was a smart thing to do, but it was a knock-on. There was, I don't have any intent to slap that ball down. No, I, I don't think it was a yellow card. I, I, I said at the time, I thought it was BS, you know. No, look, it doesn't be hard on the ref. referees make these calls. But at the moment, they're kind of almost looking for the red, yellow card on those plays. Not all those plays are as, as sinister as they're made out to be. Guys generally know if you try to do that, you're in trouble. So most guys try and avoid it. And shit happens, but, you know, I thought it was yellow. I didn't think it was a yellow card. I thought, I thought a knock-on would have been okay by me. What is it about that Scottish defence that they've been doing for so long? And, and what is it that makes it so easy for you to see how to attack it? The Scottish defence is unusual because it's kind of a retro defence. It's what we used to call a three and a half. It's a very aggressive defence. So on the first pass, they launch really hard. And then on the second pass, they try to drift. It's a very hard thing to do. I mean, 
I think the idea is if you launch early on the first pass, maybe the attacking team feel the pressure and chicken out and they go into contact. So what you do against that defence, and Ireland did it in the spring as well, not as much last weekend, but they did very well in the spring, is that you throw the first pass and you pull them up. And then you throw the second pass goes behind the front runners of the spot players. So you can hit those guys up into it a couple of times just to you know, let them know it's coming. And then you go to back. And if you are that outside guy on that, that kind of first step and you've got a turn and you're running up hard, you can't turn. You just can't turn. It's just you can't get off the line like a rocket on the first step and then suddenly turn and go outfield. You can, but you're compromised. So that spot play out the back is really easy to break down that defense. It means those inside guys get locked in. And they got locked in against Italy. Uh, I looked at that game on, on the Italy again. They got locked in a few times. They got locked in against France. So they need to look at that defense and say, if teams are going to, I'm happy to play that against that defense any day. You just send those front runners up, hit them up a couple of times to soften them up, and then out the back, and they, they won't get turned that corner as quickly as they think, and they get caught in the corners then. And that's why it's a defense that I don't mind playing against if, you, if you're smart enough to use those players. Yeah, good stuff. Last thing I want to ask you on Scotland then. Um, your coaching record against Scotland uh, was 100% win success in the Six Nations. Well, I lost the game in the warm up, World Cup warm up. Yeah, Six Nations never lost. Those warm-ups don't count. Oh, they do. They do. I think I played. <laughs> they, they count. <laughs> One of the things I, I wanted to ask, you said you always took Scotland really seriously. How yeah. could you take Scotland seriously with Jim Hamilton in the second row when you coached against him? I just can't work <laughs> that one out. Because, Eddie, Eddie, I'm going to answer this. Because you know that thing you just mentioned about where you've got to turn the corner and be able to catch up with the attackers? There was only one man in the team that could do that. And it was cover cover tackle Jim Hamilton. That was why, that was why he took me seriously. <laughs> well, I, I was simply ringing the... I was Scotland coach and making sure Jim was on the team you know that was, that was <laughs> one last question Eddie from my perspective on Scotland because you, you know I, I played for 10 years for Scotland as yeah. a player I was talking about the same things this is our year uh, we're developing we're getting better we're getting a bigger pool of players that, that can play international rugby we're now years since I retired and we're still hearing the same kind of messages. When you look at it, because I thought it was interesting, because arguably if France haven't come as good as they have done, I would have said in the next couple of years, potentially Scotland have got the opportunity to win a Six Nations. But I think you think differently. I think, look, if we are speaking candidly, if we look at the performance of the weekend, we might struggle over the next couple of years. We managed to pull big performances out of the bag, like we've beaten South Africa in recent years, Australia. The thing is, you've got to judge this on consistency. Like, yeah, I mean, we were, Ireland were like that, go back 20 years. We would win now and again, and we would celebrate the hell out of it. But when you looked at our record over time, like Ireland, Scotland are, in the Six Nations, over 21 years, are 30%. That's losing seven out of 10. You know, that's, oh, that's a hard Jim's oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was 16%. When he played. I thought, it, I thought it was 23, but I'll take 16, <laughs> 23, add them together. There's a few things I know about Irish rugby that are different for Scottish rugby, which I think has made a difference to us. I know in Scotland that the schools game has kind of evaporated, so everything goes through the club system. I know for a fact in Ireland, we're very lucky. We've got a very strong school system. We're, our school system in Ireland is world-class. We can play England, New Zealand, it doesn't matter. We're in that bracket. We've got a very strong age-grade system as well. And for that reason... Uh, we get a really good cherry pick into our academies. And our academies over the last 10 years, they were only starting out when I was coaching Ireland, they've become highly efficient. 
So if you look at the Irish under 20 coach every year, he's an abundance of players to pick from. And the under-20s in Ireland, if you look, have really done well over the last few years. They've been right out there, thereabouts. That's because the, the school system is really struggling through. The academy system is picking them up. And basically, the competition now to get into professional squads around is very high. So to be fair to Scotland, they don't have the, that sort of resources on the grass, on the ground. I think the school, Luton schools game was a huge stagger in the heart of Scotland. That's going back, what, 20 years more? I don't know. But that, that's going to manifest. We in Ireland are lucky. Like, the strength of Leinster is the quality of the Leinster schools rugby. You look at those kids playing in 17, 18. They're, for their age, they're world class. And then they scramble to get into these academies. And even then, if they don't get into Leinster Academy, they're happy to go to the Munster Academy or the Ulster Academy. They just want in. So, to be fair to Scotland, it's a tough hill to climb. We've been lucky in Ireland that we've, we're feeding off what goes on at the age grade level. And there's a good... I suppose, convertible to talent coming through every year. But having said that, we don't maybe have the major depth in that France or England might have with their numbers. But we're just being able to service it pretty well at the moment. And again, you know, Ireland could slip back. But I'll I, I be honest and say, I think we can sustain probably just below the very top tier. And if we get a good vintage of players, like over a five-year period, we could be playing at the top tier. So that's how we're hanging in there. And I've been critical of Ireland this year in particular. We had, a, we had a sloppy Six Nations, you know. We struggled mightily against France and England because they played an up and in against us, and we haven't figured out how to crack that. But, yeah, I think Ireland are hanging in there, and on a good vintage, they can get up there and fight it out with the top teams, and then maybe there's a cycle they drop back. But our expectation in Ireland, ridiculously, is very high. I remember when I uh, got involved in Ireland, we beat England once. They were going for a Grand Slam in Dublin. And we beat them. They hadn't played for three months. It was a foot and mouth year. And like we thought we had, you know, just won the World Cup because we beat England and Dublin. That's changed for Ireland. We are more consistent. I think that's the big difference for us. 64% over the last 20 years in Six Nations is a pretty good innings, you know. Yeah, and, and I can see where you mean. But let's talk about Ireland then, because, and especially playing against England, um, we've seen over the last sort of two or three years, there's clearly a mental block around the physicality, around. Um, you know what England can do to Ireland. Um, yeah. yeah, Ireland can do that to Scotland and can do it to other teams, as we saw at the weekend. The physicality that they bring is there some sort of mental block there? Is it just a pure physicality thing? Because um, there, cl- there clearly is an issue at the minute when Ireland well, play. I England. have this kind of thing in my head that, as a coach coaching Ireland, that I I don't think we've got some good athletes, but we're not at that caliber of athlete across or across the field. We are going to have one or two guys, maybe three or four, that can mix it. Uh, with England or France, but they're going to have more of those guys than we are. So I've always felt when you play a team like France or a team like England, um, you've got a box really clever. You can't go toe-to-toe. You're, you're a middleweight and a heavyweight tour boxing match. And if you go toe-to-toe, the odds are you're going to end up on your butt, you know. Um, so I've always come at it like that. Try and play them where they're, 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 they're going to struggle most. And I always felt against England, and we weren't always successful. We moved the ball as much as we could away. We made them work around the field. Um, and England gave us, when I was coaching, gave us space on the corners and we took it. Um, the moment when England and France, and this is across the board, I, I watched Southern Hemisphere as well. The teams that blitz up very well on the up and in, a lot of teams are struggling. We saw it in the World Cup. Like England beat the All Blacks. The All Blacks couldn't find a way through or around that up and in. Um, I think in the final, apart from the scrum, which was a big talking point, obviously, is that South Africa did that to England as well. Like, 
the moment you watch it, the more teams are going to gravitate to the up and in because more teams are struggling against it. And until somebody cracks this and says, this is how you're cracking up and in, and everyone goes, oh, light bulb moment, then the up and in will struggle and people have to adapt again. But at the moment, Ireland have struggled against that uh, because we don't know how to break the up and in at the moment. Um, I have opinions on how you do it. That's, that's a different discussion. But that up and in defence is, is smothering a lot of teams around the world at its work. So it's all, you know, it's always easy to play without the ball than it is with the ball. So if you can be smart without the ball, it can make it very difficult for the guy with the ball. And the up and in at the moment is causing lots of problems. That's why I was surprised Scotland didn't go up and in on the weekend against Ireland. They should have taken a part of it and see how Ireland reacted because Ireland have struggled manfully against that defence uh, this year already, you know. Well, save your ideas to how you can play against it because that could make you millions over the next couple of years if you have got the, <laughs> the code that can crack it. Um, that brings me on to the ne- next point around Andy Farrell. I always find it really interesting. Me, me and Goody have spoken about it, maybe not as much on here. When you're an international coach, it hardly ever ends well. So you're, yes. you're, going, you're going out for all glory, right? But, you know, with an Ireland and England and you, you have moments where you win things. But the minute you don't, you very rarely, you it's very rarely, get, yeah, get, get to go to the center. You end up knocking the bar. It's just how high can you get it before you knock it? You know <laughs> what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, with, with this Ireland team under Andy Farrell, from what are the, the kind of superficial research and what I hear, it seems like he's under a little bit of pressure to do something more than kind of what's being done now. Is that what, what's happening in Ireland? Is there a bit of pressure? Uh, yeah, on I think he's under pressure and it's, it's a contextual pressure. He took over from Joe Schmidt, who was hugely successful, was our most successful head coach in the history of Irish rugby. Extraordinary success. But at the end of the day, Joe's style of coaching became problematic for the playing group. It was so granular, so detailed, so pressurised. And there was a sense that that guys stopped enjoying playing, even though they were having a fairly good success. I think Andy was on deck for a lot of that, saw that dynamic working. And he came in and he think he wanted a move away from that. He wanted to move away to a more relaxed approach, more ball in hand, more kind of players making on-the-run decisions. So it's a complete, let's say, philosophical swing away from where Joe was. I think the opinion is, and I would agree with this, is that he probably has swung the pendulum too far the other way. Plus the fact he's coaching a huge number of players that were used to playing under Joe, where the level of detail was incredibly granular. So he, he's got to find a balance here where the players um, have a clearer vision of what they want and he gives them a little more latitude to play. It seems very nuanced, but at an international level, nuances make a big difference. And the other thing then, how that has manifested itself, which has put him under a bit of pressure, is that the major pillars of our game have creaked at some point along the way each, each game this year, really. The line-outs creaked in games. Other games, the scrum has creaked. Other games, our defence has been re- like our defence against France in the last Six Nations game was just was unbelievably bad. I mean, just catastrophic. And then we've got the rock has become a problem now. We've got turned over. I think up to the last last weekend, I don't know the stats for Saturday, but we got turned over an average of about seven times a game at the breakdown. So nothing's worked perfectly every day. There's always been something gone wrong, and that's created a narrative around the team. Like, why is the rock going wrong? Why is the lineup going wrong? And I, I think he's probably need to take a breath here before the Six Nations, because if the Six Nations goes on, like we said, the last Six Nations in the autumn, he, w- he will come under more pressure. It's just those inconsistencies in different parts of the game over different days. And then 
the two big games, obviously, for us are, Scot are Wales and, 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 and oh, sorry, England and France. And we've been pretty abysmal in those games. We have really underperformed. That sets the, t the tone around the team. So I think maybe he's got to find that balance. I, I honestly think he's probably gone from where Joe was in terms of that huge attention to detail and stressing the smallest kind of granular where your foot is in a rock, what way your tire lace almost, you know, to the, gone to look, let's see, see what you think is going to happen here. He's got to find something in the middle that works for him and works for players. Well, you can see that with Kalen Doris' interview at the end of the game. He said that we're enjoying playing the game. So that kind of backs up what yeah, you're saying. completely. But Doris is new into that setup. He hasn't really been in the Joe Schmidt regime. And let's be honest, Joe was incredibly successful with that regime of very strict adherence to plans and strategies and roles at every moment in the game. But I think that weighed heavily on the players too. And maybe people would say when they got to the World Cup, it was weighing too heavily on them. And they, they never kind of kind of blossomed out of it. And uh, yeah, look, I think Andy's got a, he's got a bit, I think, you know, winning on the weekend, the win always takes the pressure off. He's got to kind of have a, a think over Christmas and say, look, I need to find this balance where we go out and the key part, pillars of our game are not, are, are functional every, every week. We can't have a bad day at the line out and then the next day have a bad day at the rock. We've got to get that consistency, but still give the, players breathing space to play like I want him to play so I think he's in that process at the moment but again he's been measured against George Smith that's the problem as well that doesn't help him no and I love the way you said he's got to think over Christmas uh, about rugby because all I ever think of over Christmas is how much to eat and drink but uh, one of the things you mentioned around uh, the players and and the kind of different styles of coaching uh, leads me as an ex-fly half to understand that there is more pressure on a 10 when it's over to the players to make all these decisions. Sure. And there's been a load of chat in the press, hasn't there, around Johnny Sexton, uh, his age, his his form, other guys coming through, Billy Burns, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, where, where do you think Johnny Sexton sits right now in terms of that? Is, is he under huge pressure? I know he's captain, but you know, are these questions just coming from outside Ireland or is it actually Jim wants him retired next week, I think? There's been discussions here. Look, Johnny said he wants to go up next World Cup and fair play to him. I have no problem with a guy having that ambition. Uh, will he make it is another question. There's two parts of this discussion. One is him as a player. And I still think he's the best 10 in Ireland at the moment. I think the one guy who might have really put the shivers up his spine is Joy Carberry, but he's been injured since the last World Cup. Now, Carberry's a special talent, but he's not playing. There's thoughts that maybe his injury is a lot more serious than we know, that he's, he's struggling to come back. But he, he's the guy to me. All the other guys are not on Sexton's level. Maybe someone will get there, but they might get the opportunity. And, and Sexton is an important figure in the team. He's a leader. He's a, he's a tough guy. To, you know, the, the guy that drives everybody on, he's that. He's, yeah. The captaincy side of it is interesting because James Ryan was, got the captaincy uh, for the game in Twickenham. And I, I thought maybe that's a passing in the baton here. And I think James Ryan is captain material. There's no doubt he's going to captain Ireland at some point. But Johnny took over again. No, James had a tough day in Twickenham, not like, like the other 14 guys on the field. But... Um, Having said that, Andy might have to think about, look, it, will Johnny actually make the next World Cup? He might not. He's, he's, in, he's getting dinged up as well. He went off again on the weekend with a, with a groin or a hammer, you know. So it's four years, three more years on the track. So that's the dilemma for him is, should he just give the captaincy to James Ryan and say, like, you're my man till the next World Cup. You're going to be there. You're first on the team sheet. And Ryan has all, all the captaincy boxes ticked, to be fair to him. Uh, and then say, Johnny, focus on your game play as 10 as long as you can and if someone beats you out good enough they don't you're going to be there 
And, and I think that might be a good way to let Johnny refocus on his game and, and staying healthy and, and let someone else take the pressure of the captaincy. But that's up to Andy to call. I, I don't know what, what, he, what he'll do, but I think there is a question about Johnny going to the next World Cup because of longitude. But at the moment, I still think he's the best 10 for Ireland under pressure. The chips are down. Yeah, you'd want them there. Anything else, you're going to be, it's going to be a bit dodgy. Um, and maybe Carberry comes back and really ramps it up because, to be fair, Carberry is, is the real deal, I think, as well. You sound very passionate about the game still. I know you're doing a lot of TV work as well. Um, you've got a fantastic coaching history. Um, have you got the passion to still get in the game or is it, or you can see the detail that you go into? Is that purely based around the interest of the game on television or do you want to get back into coaching? I'd love to coach, yeah. But it, I mean, I think one of the problems I had is people saw me as a head coach and I, I, I've been a head coach and there's nothing wrong with it, but it's called head coach for a reason. You get a lot of headaches. You know, I actually would love to be an assistant coach and focus on attack or defense or some strategy. So I would like to, but um, that's about opportunity. It's like being an actor waiting for, you know, the phone to ring and someone give you a, a movie. But um, yeah, I would. But I still love the game. I still follow it. I still watch games with, with notebooks in front of me and take notes. And there's, there's three categories. Like, that was a really crappy idea. Like, what were they thinking? And that was a really good idea, but maybe they could maybe nudge it a bit. if they did this might be better. And the third category is fuck, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> <laughs> so, so you like that? That's the way I think. So I, I I love I love innovation, and I, I probably the thing that I, I would love to see in the game more is in more innovation. Like the one thing we see at the moment, guys, and I don't know if you'd agree with this, is that we we could we could we all know how teams are going to exit. Like they're gonna, you can see the guys at the back of the rock piling up, and he rolls the ball back to back, and he pumps the contestable. Or it's the game is getting a wee bit predictable. Um, everyone's playing the same shape at the moment, practically. There's one three three one. Um, there's a lot of dependence on somebody making a defensive error, like England did against France. They made a defensive error, kind of. They didn't, they, and, and the score came, it didn't, was that, I mean, Jalabert took it brilliantly, like he's a, he's a class act, but he shouldn't have got the opportunity if, if people said to their roles. So I'd love to see more teams innovating and unpicking defences, asking questions of defences that defence are really struggling to answer. I think the more of that we do in the game, the better the product will be for everybody. But I, I just worry at the moment that, that there's a lot of... Um, at risk adverse rugby being played, um, a lot of kicking, a lot of a lot of the the aerial ping pongs come back in, especially this autumn for some strange reason. And um, teams are are playing very much the same type of style of rugby. Um, and the collisions in the game are just getting more frequent and heavier. Um, that's another discussion. But yeah, from my own perspective, like and I, I just love watching the game. I love analysing it. Uh, you know. We, I'm 62 now and I've been doing it for 50 years, so probably not going to give up. Good man. And England's attack isn't that great at the minute. Uh, yeah. are, you ma- are, you, are you mates with Eddie Jones? Do you want to be an attack coach? There might be a role there because uh, he's always looking to change his coaches. It's interesting. The thing I've seen different from England in the in the uh, after World Cup is I think, um, was it Scott Weismantle was the, the attack coach? Yeah. Yeah, he's a, he's a very interesting philosophy in attack. I, I just watched a, a Zoom call he was on there a few months ago during the lockdown. And he's a really shrewd operator. He's a very smart guy. He's fantastic at picking out minutia of def- where defences are predictable and then exploiting it. But he tends to focus on maybe three rocks, or three, three phases. So England were playing a very um, 
I suppose, a, a very orchestrated uh, three-phase rugby. And a lot of the time, it was doing so much damage to the opposition, they could play on them then after that off the cuff because they'd done so much damage to the defence and they had the horses to play that type of game. I think at the moment, there's probably playing the same philosophy, but they're probably not doing the same amount of damage on the first race. Like if I was playing England tomorrow, my goal would be to shut them down for three phases off the set piece and then see what happened. I think that that has, that makes them take the initiative, which they maybe have, were, were, were doing better last year when they were getting that really go forward off the first three phases. That's not coming as frequently now. And I saw on the weekend there, the, there was one particular player that they could have scored yesterday against France and they threw the spot one channel in instead of one channel out. The spot one channel out, they were around the corner, one channel in, they got hit in contact. So they're the small things. There's a difference between seven and nothing, you know. And maybe they're, I don't know, I'm not in contact, but maybe they are rehashing what they do and this work in progress. But I, I was interested that Wisemantle had that philosophy of using the first three phases to disrupt the defence really well by being really smart. Whether it was kicking or passing, didn't matter. He was really good at that. But then you, you were in a position to play. And maybe England aren't getting in that position as much as they'd like to know. Yeah, I think because he's gone back to Australia and Simon Amos. That's right, yeah, he's yeah, he's with Australia. Let's get Eddie coaching with Eddie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, mean, I know Eddie a long time. I coached against him. He's a he's a very shrewd guy. You might defend something they did, but you know that he he changes. So you're always nervous because <laughs> you you might set up one way and work, and then the next time you set up that way, you get burned. So yeah, he's a shrewd guy and. I think he's a strong character. I think head coaches need to be. You know, to be popular, need to be respected. That's the key, you know, and I think he's huge respect. Uh, he's got a great track record. But uh, yeah, he's a, I have a lot of time for him, yeah. I think he's a great coach. Eddie, what happened to just bend over and push, mate? That's uh, what I thought <laughs> was. So, I didn't realise it was so difficult to understand. <laughs> you blow my mind. You've sold, you've sold, you See, sold I the think, dream. I think, Jim, you always took the, the, the spot past one channel in instead of one channel out. That's, that's where it started for you. Jim couldn't catch or pass, mate. I don't I know. It was, by, it, was, yeah, it, was, it was by default. It was never intentional. <laughs> All right, Eddie. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, mate. And uh, best of luck with that uh, new coaching gig, whatever it may be, whenever it may be. Well, listen, uh, it's great to talk rugby, guys. I love it. So thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Cheers, Cheers Eddie. Just, Eddie. Just don't go to Scotland, mate. Don't go to Scotland. I won't. <laughs> Top like. You can't Can say, say it. Jim oh, no. can't say it. I know, he's all right. Good, good, good of him for it to come on. I think he's redeemed himself. He's backtracked on his comments, which is all that I was looking for. But how Irish is he? I don't want to stereotype. How Irish? <laughs> yeah, mate, he is. And do you know what? It's the detail that he's going in there. You can tell, and he said it himself, he sat watching games with his notepad, desperate to still coach, isn't he? But fair play to him. Come on. And it's one of those things, right? You look at a lot of, and I saw this on on social media at the weekend, you look at a lot of interaction, right? And the pundits that are on and all this stuff. And someone that makes a comment like Eddie O'Sullivan did, it just divides opinion. So all the Scots are going mad. Irish people are agreeing. English people are sat there going, oh, well, not really bothered, but yeah, because it's Scotland, we'll just agree. You know, it creates debate, but people don't like it. You go to football, who are the best pitch side pundits? Mate, Gary Neville gives an opinion. Roy Keane gives his strong opinion. You know, these pundits that are doing that, Jamie Carragher as well, same, like give strong opinions on stuff and it creates debate and that's what you want. 
People get offended when it's just a bit bland. Like, you've taken offence by what you said, Jim. I haven't taken offence at all. Yeah, yeah I'm, I ain't bothered. I'm not bothered. I'm not taking offence. I'm, I'm, I'm a bothered. I'm a bothered. <laughs> um, but it, it's great for the game. You want these people to have a strong opinion on genuinely what they believe in and, you know, be able to debate it and discuss it. I think that's what we do on here. And, you know, it's important that you're not just bland and say, yeah, it was a good game and, you know, let's agree with Eddie Jones because we're winning. Let's pick holes in things because we want the game to be better we want all to right Owen Farrell was shy at the weekend I've said it <laughs> there you what, go is, is that what else you want yeah you, mate you do it you go for do, it do you, you want like... some more do you want some yeah. more Johnny Sexton's too old to play the game now he's mate, getting you're injured every single game do you want more <laughs> do you want more, yeah, more. keep going Alan Wynne-Jones Alan Wynne-Jones <laughs> with Wales Italy should have beat them Italy should have beat <laughs> them at the weekend do you want no more no chance more? yeah yeah more I want more Okay, Brian O'Driscoll, you're having it, mate, because you've called me out on Twitter saying that Scotland, <laughs> saying about Scotland getting 50 on them. No, that was me saying that to you. You didn't reply, so you're having it, mate. Good stuff. Good opinions, Jim. Like it. Well, let's get your take on the other couple of games in the Autumn Nations Cup now. But before we do, uh, we've teamed up with Level Rugby this week to give you guys a 15% discount site-wide across a wide range of boots, replica, and training wear. Make sure you use the code RugbyPod15 to get some great discounts on all the brand new international ranges worn in the Nations Cup. Just head to level-rugby.co.uk to check it all out and enter the code RUGBYPOD15 for 15% off. How good was it to see Fiji back out there, boys? Class. Oh, my God. Amazing. Amazing. Oh, and the Rugby Pod hoodoo, whatever you want to call it, the spell that we cast on no people. No curse. The non-curse. It's back. It is back because Nandolo comes on. First game back for Fiji, scores a hat-trick. Thank you very much. Namani Nandolo, Fiji Rugby, you are welcome. You called it. You actually said, can you imagine playing them after they've been locked up, they won't let me out, locked up, they won't let me out. Akon <laughs> sang it in circa 2007. But how good seeing Fiji. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the gutting thing about it is, and a few people have spoken about it, is that we just didn't get to see them anymore, really. I think, for me with the coaching team that they've got in place and with some of the players, especially in that back line, where's the long-term opportunity for Fiji? This is what needs to be looked at. Is it in the championship? Probably not because the geographic nature of where the players play, a lot of them play in Europe, it's going to be more difficult to get them down there. Is there an opportunity for them to play in the Six Nations? Is this Autumn Nations Cup a thing every year? So I, I, I just think that in terms of Fiji's development, but also taking the game forward, a lot of people are talking about how bland the game is now. We've spoken about it on here, the amount of kicking. If you want to not watch a bland game, watch Fiji play. They were brilliant at the weekend against a very physical and a, a team like Georgia who've got better and better week, week on week. But it was class. So Namani Nandolo, I saw his interview after the emotion, you know, touching the, the Fijian badge after the game how much it meant to him so it was class absolutely class to watch them I was well happy yeah it was great and you look at across that back line and a lot of the forward play and Jim's right I think World Rugby and we've seen what Dan Leo has put out with his uh, documentary you know there needs to now be serious conversations around what Jim said then the Autumn Nations Cup is it something that happens every autumn well we know next year it's not going to because they've announced the fixtures that certain countries are going to play but Fiji need regular competitive competition rugby can you imagine if fiji got an influx of money with not not individual players we know that some of them make well some of them are the highest paid players in the world and they send money back to fiji send money back to their family to build infrastructure and all these things that we know the 
which is great. Can you imagine if Fiji as a union actually got the money, everything was done properly, and they were building academies and they were building rugby centres out there? You know, speaking to Eddie O'Sullivan about what the infrastructure they've got in Ireland. Imagine Fiji if they had that and they had proper, proper academies. It would be, yeah, it'd be class. What did you guys make of the Wales Italy match? I thought Italy might do it. Yeah, I, I did as well. They were winning eighteen seventeen at half time. Imagine they could have done. They, if it weren't for, for Falatau and Tipperick, arguably, arguably Falatau. That's best I've seen him play in years. Lions year, so isn't it? That's coming class up. for him. Of course, smart. He's probably out of contract as well. Smart. <laughs> <laughs> he is. He is at Bath. I think he's out of contract. I thought it was good against England as well. To be fair, we spoke about it was. that, but. You know, 38 points to 18, Does is that a reflection on the game? I don't know. That maybe just shows where Italy are. And I say that, again, superficially, because it's easy to throw, throw, throw stuff like that about. But watching the highlights and watching it back, I, I, because there's a lot of talk about Italy in there, whether or not they should be in the Six Nations, but... I think they're all right as well. <laughs> I'm just so positive about it. But you're all right. You can't get beat all the time, can you? So where's the turning point for the Italian team? But a lot of talk around Wales. Again, how good are they? How good aren't they? They beat Italy by 20 points. So on paper, it looks pretty good. But again. And they've had some injuries and, and they're starting to get some boys back from injury as well, which has had a big impact. And again, you're comparing it to England. England haven't had any injuries apart from Manu Tuolangi, really, to their frontline team. And then when you've got a depth of, of player talent and the player pool that England have got, you, it doesn't really matter if some players are injured. Whereas in Wales and in Scotland and sometimes in Ireland, you take out those first two, three top-tier players and then the next guys aren't anywhere near as good. And I, I mean that fully respectfully. Um, so Wales' time, I think, will come again. You know, massive Six Nations coming up for them. If if they don't perform reasonably well in the Six Nations, then, you know, Pivak's gone. Horrible, Jim, you're horrible. <laughs> but they'll have no Lions. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it, Goody. Goody, you've probably been itching to talk about the Guinness match point predictor, haven't you, mate? Well, we're talking about the Wales-Italy game, I just happened to predict the perfect score there, a 20-point victory for Wales. And, yeah, I mean pretty impressive for myself even if i do say so myself so humble oh let's look at the league table Let, i mean let's just I, get into don't it need to. just skim over it i'm not bothered about it this time because uh, uh, you're only as good as your last competition right jim because you were banging on about this the six nations one a few weeks ago when my fingers were too fat to press the right buttons this time i concentrated and my god i have finished very high up this league where have you finished 56th out of the whole league of over 56 and you we had 12,000 people in our league Jim if you think 56th is success then I'll let you think that I am bothered where I am don't even tell me because we move forward into the six nations and hopefully hopefully there's some fans and that'll make me better this match point predictor I know it I'll be able to feel them I'm in the top 0.5 percent Jim that's all I'm saying I don't like hearing about 0.0 especially during this time that we find ourselves here. I don't want to hear about 0.0. Well, that's it for the time being. But the good news is that it won't be long before the Guinness Pint Predictor is back early next year for the Guinness Six Nations Championship. And Touchwood, with some normality, back. Pubs will be back. Crowds will be back. And pints will be back. So keep an eye out for some incredible prizes. And a big thanks to Match Pint for providing plenty of entertainment. Let's have a look at the Premiership. What happened to Wasps, Scooty? Oh, my word. Mate, Newcastle, one of my old clubs, 
three from three. Let's just talk <laughs> about Newcastle. Let, I set the foundations. Jim said it's all about foundations, right? You lay the foundations and then there's just improvement off the back of what you've left behind. And Newcastle, three from three in the Premiership. I think they listened to the podcast a few weeks ago when Jim abused them about losing to the Ealing Trailblazers. And they've come out. And fair play to Newcastle, right? They've played three games. They've played three of the teams that were in the top four about a month ago in the Premiership. So they dusted Bath first game. They dusted Sale second game. And they dusted Wasps third game. And actually, their best performance was against Wasps. Of course it was. Of course they were the very best that day. Well, no, I'm going I'm to be honest, Jim. Wasps were garbage. There you go. How about that? Why? No Launchbury, no Willis, no Robson. Sopawanga threw an intercept. He's back to his old ways. Um, yeah, it's just... Uh, Listen, let's just was talk Fekitoa up Newcastle. Fekitoa was not playing, no. Oh, my quads. I saw a picture of him on Instagram. My word. So, fair play to Newcastle. Three from three. It's a hell of a start for them. My Quins dominated Gloucester. Your Quins. My Quins. Fair play. Fair play. They look very good. 14 men as well. Yeah. Esther Hazen got sent off. Was that a red card? Was it that bad? He's elbowed him in the head, mate. Did he elbow him or did I had did he lean on his lean on him? I mean, he's given it a little a little elbow to the face, mate. You just can't you can't. He's do a harlequin. He, he should be banned for twenty weeks for that. <laughs> Marcus Smith, very good. Front, he's a front, he's, he's a front foot player, isn't he? He is a front foot player, but he has got and he he's learned a hell of a lot under Nick Evans. And one thing I'm going to throw out there: Charlie Hodgson is a top point scorer in the Premiership with about 2,000 gazillion points, however many it is. I'm second, about 300 behind Charlie Hodgson. I'm telling you that, Marcus Smith will break the record. He'll take Charlie Hodgson's record. He'll go past me, then go past Charlie, because he looks 14, he's 21, and he is scoring boatloads of points week in, week out. He is a fantastic rugby player at a very, very young age. You'd look at his attacking intent. I know he's been involved with the England squad, I don't want to say it again, but George Ford, how's he still getting picked when you've got players like Joe Simmons and Marcus Smith playing week in, week out exceptionally well? He's got everything, Marcus Smith. He he puts it in in defence as well. If you watch him, it's not like a young kid who you're trying to hide in defence with certain players. I used to try and hide in defence a lot. Cipriani hides in defence. Marcus Smith makes his tackles. Um, and he's got you know an all-court game. He's got a brilliant kicking game. Vision, the X Factor, the pace, you know, He's fantastic. And he's resilient as well because I'm sure he's going to be pissed off that he weren't in the England squad. And you're watching your team not playing that well. Again, something you joke about Goody every week. Harlequin's being shit. And <laughs> That's you. That's you. I was it. And to be fair, in the shadows of a tournament, he's rocking up away from home. Gloucester, good win last week. And with 14 men, it was like the old Cipriani show with the way that he played, the little chips over the top, showing goose. I thought they looked good. And with Don Brandt as well, I don't know if he's a, I don't know if he's a test eight, but he's a bloody good player. With Don Brandt, he's also that player that is always, you know, like Sam Simmons scoring six tries in three games for Exeter. He's always scoring tries, so he's making things happen. Don Brandt is always there sniffing out opportunities. And that's a player, you know, you go back to Nick Easter when he was at Harlequins, those sort of players that are always in and around the action at the right sort of time to make something happen. And Don Brandt, as an eight, is one of those. So, you know, does he fit into Eddie Jones's thinking? Well, clearly not at the minute because he played Curry there and he's got Ben Earl in the squad and uh, obviously Billy's the starter. Um, 
you know, and people are chomping at the bit to get Sam Simmons in as well. Um, but yeah, listen, Quinn's played from their, let's be honest, from their brutal first game. I was going to call it a shit show in the first game against Exeter, but they, they were pretty poor in that first game. They bounced back, spanked Northampton away from home, spanked Gloucester away from home. Um, and, you know, maybe this year, Maybe now Rob Shaw's gone. They're the real deal, Jim. Why do you say that, mate? You're horrible. You are horrible, Jim. I do want to say, because I like Guzzi, that I do hope that it's a turning point for them now, Rob Shaw. I mean, yeah, so now Marlis with England. Look, it's a turning point for Quince. All right? We've seen it. And Gloucester, my goodness me. My goodness me. Re- relegated, Gloucester? They won't be far off, will they? Oh, mate, why are you being horrible against them? <laughs> <laughs> Honesty, mate. Best policy. Just... Claim stupidity, which I do regularly, well, every day. Any other games you catch your eye on the weekend, boys? Watch the highlights of the Leicester Exeter. All I'm saying is, oh, my two-on-one is what <laughs> I'm getting from that. I thought Leicester looked all right. They looked quite physical. But when you play against Exeter, you don't want them in your half and you do not want them five metres close, close to your line. Jack Yendall, my old tap and goo. There you go. He basically walks over the try line uh, and then into the bar at the back of the stadium that's probably closed because you're not allowed to drink. Or can you drink? Because what tier are they in? I don't even know. And driving line out, physicality, extra do what extra did. But I think Leicester looked a, looked a lot better apart from that. Did you see that two on one? Yeah, I, I mean, I what did. What about Wiggy? What about Wiggy? What about <laughs> Wiggy Woo? So Zach Henry's broken through. What I don't get is he's broken through and it looked like he was just going to stop. And draw the guy and just pass it to Wiggy, who would have been under the sticks. You're losing 21-13. And it's, maybe it's a sign of inexperience. And, you know, I don't want to hammer him too much, Zach Henry, because he's, he's he's playing reasonably well. He's, you know, first big steps into the game. You know, He is a good player. Yeah, he's got a sk- good skill set. But that's the sort of thing that he used to probably do at a much lower level and still score the try. And now you're talking premiership top tier, you're talking playing the champions. And... Wiggy, Richard Wigglesworth, went absolutely ballistic at him. He's gone bananas. Zach, are you fucking kidding me? Are you fucking <laughs> kidding me? As his teeth fall out because he's nearly 50. Yeah, Wiggy, Wiggy, Wiggy was absolutely raging. Wiggy Woo was not happy, but Exeter do what they do, don't they? Champion team, like Goody said. But all we want to see is a competitive Leicester. Now, really, you should think with the players that they've got to come back with Genji, with George Ford... And Ben Young's coming back into that team, you're thinking they should be a lot better this year. But again, we will see. It's interesting because I know, speaking to a few people at Leicester, uh, I know there's been another change there this week. Jan McGinty, who came on the pod uh, over the summer when all the pay cuts were going on, uh, got removed from his role as well. And they kind of said it was down to money, but also strategy. I think Borthwick has gone into that club and has... Basically, just he's just trying to get rid Take of anyone. Take direction from Mike Ford. What, what do you mean? <laughs> he's trying to get rid of anyone that was had an influence on a previous reign, uh, and he, you know, he's got apparently by all accounts he's gone in there with an international player mindset, and he's worked for Eddie Jones and got absolutely dominated by Eddie Jones for years. Firstly with Japan and then with England, and he's gone in there, and the club environment's so different, isn't it, Jim? Is that not the right thing to do, though, Goody, with Leicester? And again, we've spoken off air about this. Do you not think that if you go to a club and you look at Leicester, and Borthwick played against Leicester for years, both at Saracens, but obviously Bath in his early part of his career, that he's thinking this place, for whatever reason, and the people that have made the decisions from a recruitment point of view, but driven the club, 
he has to be that. If he's like, right, I'm putting my name to this, and he's left his post at England, which was a big call to move to a club that you're talking. If Saracens didn't get relegated last year, Leicester would have been relegated. He's putting his name to it, so he's having to make some ridiculously hard calls by getting rid of Geordie if it was him who got rid of him, by Jan McGinty going, like, yeah, I mean, it's a change. You know, the club, the. Yeah, the club needed a shake-up. And it's one of those things that, yeah, Borthas came in as head coach and he's now sort of moulded himself into this role of director of rugby. Jordan's gone. The recruitment, the elite performance recruitment guy, Jan McGinty's gone as well. And it, basically, it's all Borthas. And um, I'm not saying it's Borthas getting rid of them, but he's the man in charge now. Boris Stankovic, amazing coach by all accounts, said he couldn't work under Steve Borthwick because it was too intense. It was a million miles an hour, the detail every day, which we've been in club environments. You can't do that every day of your life. International windows, you can do it because that's what you're there for. But you cannot do that for 52 weeks or 48 weeks a year, back to back to back in the premiership. And he, he has to because that's the only way he knows to improve people. But you might see later in the season a complete blowout at Leicester because the squad actually isn't that deep and the players will be absolutely flogged because Steve Borthwick, 100 miles an hour every day, lads, we're going to train from sunrise to sunset to get better and better and better and better and better. Have in your mind. You know you're going well at Leicester because you'll be dangling from the top of the Christmas tree in the city centre like me and Goody were when <laughs> things are going well. <laughs> like a ball ball. <laughs> Well, Budgie Smuggler are on board with us again this week, so keep your weird stories coming in on social media to be in with a chance to win a pair of limited edition Rugby Pod Smugglers, and we'll read some of the more weirder ones out in the coming weeks. Budgie have got you covered this Christmas as well, and if you buy a Christmas jumper between Monday the 7th and Friday the 11th of December, you'll automatically enter into the drawer to head into Budgie HQ and help design a Budgie exclusive for 2021. There's loads for men, women and kids in their Christmas gift range. So give the gift of smuggling this Christmas. Just visit budgiesmuggleruk.com and use the code podpodpod to get free next day delivery. And the rugby keeps coming with Europe starting again this weekend, boys. Any games that you're looking forward to in particular? Well, I'm commentating on uh, Toulon against Sale. So I'm going to talk Ebenezer up and I'm probably going to drop into comms that he smashed the life out of Jim Hamilton a few years ago when South Africa played Scotland. Any profile is good profile, Andrew. For me, it's got to be Arjan versus London Irish. <laughs> <laughs> so it's that one and Pooh versus Worcester as well, which is an eight o'clock kickoff. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, you're over. But there are, I mean, it's, it's actually quite hard to get your head around these, the format this year as well, because it's obviously a compressed tournament, uh, slightly different to what we're used to the usual groups of four and stuff so it, you've re- as a fan you've really got to look at you know what your team are doing who they're playing against because they're not playing against they're not playing against teams in their pool are they so it's a bit of a minefield in answer to your question Andy Rowe the game of the weekend for me is hashtag always Ulster stand up us up for the Ulster men versus Toulouse always a good game well it is time now for the good the bad and the ugly and Suns are on board again this week aren't they Goody well yeah Jim, you're looking great at the minute, so you've clearly been using the Suns. You're in your smart black shirt, your hair's on point. Some people say that the top of your head might have been going bold. I mean, sure. who said that? Who said it? Well, some people might have said it, but until you started using Suns, that could have been the case. Now, boom, lush and thick 
on the top of your head, James. Well, we go back to your first point. A lot of people did say that, and I was in denial. Not anymore. Acceptance is step one. And then, well, step two and three and four and ten is me. (laughs) You're welcome, sons. Well, Sons is a men's health brand that's helping guys with one of the key issues that they don't often talk about, and that's how to keep their hair. They do this by offering free online consultations with GPs, providing a range of licensed and medically proven products for preventing and treating hair loss and delivering via a monthly subscription direct to your door. They get results in 9 out of 10 men too, and you can take the consultation in less than two minutes. So what are you waiting for? Just visit sons.co.uk and use the code RUGBYPOD20 to get 20 quid off your first order. That's S-O-N-S.co.uk and the code is RUGBYPOD20. So go and check them out and show hair loss who's boss. Uh, yeah, loads of good again this weekend and I'm going to go into a bit of detail around some different games. We start off in France. Yes, we do. With the France third team. Actually, their first team. The team that played at Twickenham. Uh, I thought they were outstanding. I stand here, cap in hand, asking for forgiveness from all my French friends, having said England would spank them by 30 points, and it's the France third, fourth, fifth team. They fronted up. Jalibert was pretty special. They had attitude. They had defence. They had desire. And they put every pundit, except for Jim Hamilton, who predicted they'd win by four points just because he was desperate for match point predictor points, back in their place and nearly beat England at Twickenham. So a big shout-out for them. Uh, what else was good? Fiji, unbeaten in the Autumn Nations Cup. Same as England, unbeaten. So potentially joint winners, but no, they weren't because they only played one game. But how good was it to see Fiji back in the international arena? They had 29 coronavirus cases previously. Uh, they bounced back, a brilliant attacking display, put smiles on people's faces, and friend of the show, Namani Nandolo, scores a hat-trick. You are welcome, Fiji. What else was good? Extra Chiefs, they crack on three from three. Sam Simmons again scoring to make it six tries in three Premiership games this season. We're going to stay in the Premiership and we're going to go to Bristol Bearbacks. Bristol Bears, Jim. Sam Bedlow with the Monster Spuds kicking a pretty tough penalty with the last play of the game to beat Northampton Saints. How big are your Spuds? Well, I imagine they're absolutely massive. <laughs> exactly. So tip of the slipper to him. Uh, we're going to go back to France now. Where? Hit me. Montpellier, Jim's old club. What happened? They only went to Claremont. They've been in the bad a few times this year. They only went to Claremont and played Claremont full noise. It was Claremont's full-on team on Friday night and beat them 21-15 at the Stade Marcel Michelin. Philippe, we will see you next season because you're not coming back this season because you've beaten Claremont, who's the... It doesn't matter. You lose every other game but beat Claremont and you're in. So, Philippe... Au revoir, mon ami. Je suis fatigué encore. Demain. <laughs> Fair play uh, to Montpellier. Uh, and we're going to stay in France again because we always have to get one of my old clubs in the good. And this week, we're going to mention Breve. Oh, oh, my breath. Oh, my breath. Uh, they beat Agen away from home. They've had a couple of mentions in the bad recently, uh, but they beat Agen away from home, which was massive for them. And it's the same week that they showed off their new training centre on social media a lovely video did you see it jim did you retweet it i did yeah very impressive because no, pi- i've seen it my picture is on the wall there is a picture of me on the wall there from my glory days at breathe for about 10 games um so tip of the slipper to breathe outstanding win and a cracking new training center um we'll mention england we'll put them in the good for winning the cup that's it i can't say any more because we were bang average, but we've won the Autumn Nations Cup. And then we're going to go to Wales for some good, Jim. Because another team that we've mentioned many times in the bad, the Dragons. 
The Dragons got a win. Dean Ryan's men, normally in the bad, but they beat Glasgow away from home, 23-22. So, tip of the slipper to Dean Ryan and the Dragons, Jim. Well, I'm not. I'm not tipping anything, mate. You're not having that one, no. Uh, the good this week, though, can only go to one team. And I've already mentioned one of my old clubs. We're going to mention another one. Newcastle Falcons, three from three, back in the Premiership. It was their best performance. A comfortable win at the mighty Rico Arena that wasn't so mighty at the weekend against Wasps, 27-17. They were 27-5 up at one point. And I think Jim's prediction that Wasps would get in the top four has absolutely fucked them. So, Newcastle Falcons. Bottom four. Oh, did you? Okay. Newcastle Falcons, they're going to get the good this week. Three from three in the Premiership, an outstanding performance. Well done to them. And we'll get Dino on soon, he said, didn't he? We did. Dino's coming on when he's, um, he said he's just shaving his spuds tonight, so he couldn't do it. If, if he boycotts us, like Sir Bill Beaumont did, mate, we'll call you out. So Dino, you've got one week, and then then we're calling you out, mate. You can call him out on your own, mate. He's, uh, he's some monster, so. Let's go to the bad. We'll start off in uh, Jim's hood. We'll start off in Scotland. Had their pants pulled around their ankles with the full skid marks on show in that second half. Losing 31-16 to Ireland. So they're going to get a mention for that. You're not having that, Jim? I don't mind. We got robbed. There we go. You got robbed or whopped? <laughs> Both. <laughs> uh, that's a mention of the bad. Um, what else is bad? England's kicking tactics. Non-stop, ball fest. Everyone kicking the ball too much. So that gets a mention of the bad. Um, here's one for you, Jim. Hit me. Wasps. I want to put them in the bad. Okay, well, I'm surprised, but I agree. <laughs> Losing 27-17 at home to the Falcons. Uh, an average to poor start for the Premiership runners-up last year for Wasps, so not good. And then I'm going to put one of your clubs in the bad this week again, Jim. Gloucester. Gloucester. Losing at home, getting absolutely hosed by Harlequins. What's going on there? A 14-man Harlequins, if yeah. you can say that. Yeah, I, I mean, I just blame the CEO, but there we go. Uh, <laughs> We'll see how Gloucester. <laughs> we'll see how Gloucester bounce back now. Um, what else was bad? Tiff Eden. Oh my lid! Did you see the lid on Tiff Eden on Friday night? Yes, because they commented on it on the TV. I did. I mean, you best be good if you got air do like that, and he wasn't good. So um... maybe it's us. <laughs> yeah. Oh, don't be like that. Maybe it's us. <laughs> maybe we need to fall in line. What and grow a curly permed mullet with the help of sons? I think I will. What else was bad? Saints. I've got to mention them. They actually performed a lot better than they have done in the Premiership over recent weeks, but their last-minute loss at Bristol makes it 10 losses on the spin and equals their worst-ever run from 16 years ago. So bad times at Saints. They say winning's a habit, so is losing. 16 years? 16 years ago, they lost 10 games on the spin, so it's their worst record for 16 years, James. What can you say? I don't know. When the Saints go marching in, they ain't marching anywhere at the minute. <laughs> exactly. But the bad this week can only really go to one place. And I feel bad saying this. Never heard of the guy to start off with until this weekend. And it's because I don't watch a lot of Pro 14. Brandon Thompson, my old conversion. <laughs> oh, my conversion. So Glasgow score a try with the last play of the game. The conversion is in front of the posts, pretty much. But give or take a yard, it is in front of the posts. And Brandon Thompson has hit the post with the most simplest of conversions to win the game for Glasgow at the death with the last kick of the game. No, no, no. He hits the post. Oh, he rushed it. Didn't take his time. What the hell was he doing, Jim? Well, I don't know. It's Genuinely, I think I would have got that with a back heel. I'll be honest. <laughs> I thought you were going to put the Dragons players who ran out and were like jeering at him 
after he missed it. That's what I thought you were going to give the bad to. No, no, I didn't like that. But then you see the way the Glasgow players celebrated in the Dragons' faces when they scored the try. There's a bit of niggle there, isn't there? Oh, there, there you go. Well, that's, yeah, a bit of tit for tat. I only saw the last <laughs> bit properly. So, yeah, mate, you got a bit... Look, you don't want to open players up, but it's professional rugby, kick in front of sticks. I genuinely don't even think Owen Farrell would have got that this weekend. <laughs> it's well, got did... nothing to do with him, though. <laughs> I didn't mention Owen Farrell's kicking. That was bad. Uh so the bad this week goes to Brandon Thompson. Uh, and then the ugly, two bits of ugly. Firstly, uh, Andre Esterhazen, we mentioned it earlier. He got a red card for an elbow to the face of Lloyd Evans, the Gloucester fly half. He doesn't win the ugly, he just gets a mention because the ugly this week is won by Lucan Salakaya Lotto, the Aussie, for the high shot on Santi Grondona. Got a red card, horrible tackle. It was basically reminiscent of Jim, not being able to bend at the hips. Your back's fucked. You go up top and then you throw a 120 kilo shoulder in someone's head, you're going to get red carded. So, Lucan Salakaya Lotto, you're getting the ugly this week. Thanks, Scooty. And you guys have got a couple of shout outs to finish off with, haven't you? Yeah, it's a sad one, uh, unfortunately. Callum Corley has been in touch and wants us to give a big shout out and remember Harry Corbin who sadly passed away recently after battling cancer for a couple of years. He was from Dallas and was a talented rugby player for Jesuit Rugby and Spring Hill College. And he loved watching Ireland, drinking Guinness and whiskey and singing old Irish drinking songs as well. So he'll be massively missed by all his mates and his family and a big love to all his friends and family from us at the Rugby Pod. I got a big shout out as well to all the guys at Roslyn Park as well, who are doing amazing lockdown challenge the 2.0 Movement Challenge to Raise Money for Cancer Research UK and Campaign Against Living Miserably or Calm. They've been doing 4,300 kilometres of exercise to keep mentally and physically engaged, as well in memory of the 4,300 men between the ages of 20 and 45 who commit suicide every year due to issues with mental health. So a massive well done to all of them there. Keep up the good work, guys, and keep going and keep talking as well. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Gertie. Thanks, Producer Tim. Thank you very much for listening. And don't forget to hit subscribe on whatever platform you get your podcasts on. Leave us a review and check us out on YouTube as well. Rugby pod. Pod, pod, pod.